Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Will Wood's Faith in Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and excited to have another amazing episode to share with you today. Thanks so much for listening. Well, we know that divorce is a widespread phenomenon, but what are the lasting effects of divorce on children? Well, more specifically, what are the lingering effects of divorce into adulthood? What impact does divorce have on a child's emotional and spiritual makeup? And how can we respond better to adult children of divorce as a church? Joining me on the show to talk about this and more is Dr. Dan Miola, founder of Life Giving Wounds, a ministry dedicated to helping adult children of divorce. In today's episode, Dan shares beautifully about his own experiences growing up in a split home why he started this ministry, and what he identifies as the key issues impacting children of divorce into adulthood, how the church's teachings on marriage and sexuality are in fact healing, how the church can create targeted pastoral initiatives to adult children of divorce. And we end the episode by having a brief conversation about clarifying the language regarding wounds and why this topic is so popular in the church today and what we can do just to brush it up a little bit and make sure that we're clear about what we're speaking about. So at the end of the show, please leave your comments or thoughts on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I look forward to hearing from you on those platforms. And let's get into this conversation with Dr. Dan Miola. Dr. Dan Miola, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, Mario. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's it's awesome. I think it's a great topic to to discuss, and I'm certainly grateful for the good work that you're doing with Life-Giving Wounds and the ministry to adult children of divorce. And so let's just kind of, you know, kind of ease into this. I mean, uh, it, it's certainly a, a particular need, a particular topic to, to focus a ministry on. And so what drew you to it? I mean, why, why start this ministry? You have a doctorate from CUA and instead of taking a cushy faculty job, you know, at, at some, <laughs> some upscale, you know, upstanding Catholic university, you said, no, let's go full in on this thing. And uh, just kind of besides saying, obviously God led you to it, but what in your heart particularly guided you and prompted you to, to start this ministry? Yeah. I mean, thanks for that question. Um, I've, I've reflected upon this deeply cause it's a mystery to me how I got <laughs> led to this point. Uh, just clarify, I got my PhD from the John Paul Toon Institute, mm. which is at CUA, but not thanks for the clarification. CUA. Yep. Wonderful. But, but, uh, CUA is my undergraduate degree. So I'm, I'm proud to be an alumni of CUA as well. Um, what led me to start this ministry? Well, uh, it's my own experience as being a child of divorce, just knowing the brokenness, it's providence being in the right place at the right time when, uh, professors where I was studying at the John Paul Institute was looking at this question of pastoral care for adult children of divorce. And it's, it's just, it's one of those St. John of the Cross moments. I don't know if you're familiar with the famous quote where there is no love, put love. Mm-hmm. And I just I saw this deep need in the church that there's no pastoral programs for the children of divorce. There's something for divorcees and most dioceses, but not for the children of divorce. Um, so I wanted to change that, and I'm hoping others will help me make this a priority in diocese because it's it's so long overdue. I mean, divorce, no fault divorce, has been with us since the '60s. So this is a tremendous, tremendous problem that the children are crying out for, uh, for help. 
and we need to do this, I think, in a more organized fashion. Of course, the church would do it here and there with, you know, individual priests, individual efforts, you know, through marriage prep or what have you. But to have some specific ministries just long overdue. So that that was really on my heart. But again, I think so much of it, so much of our life, you mentioned uh, God's calling. I feel like God calls us through our wounds. Like he uses our particular wounds to to draw us out of ourselves, to help others like ourselves. So it was very much about my own childhood experience of experiencing my parents' separation, then divorce. That I think led me to be attuned to this wound and to want to reach out to others. So I think, you know, we could talk about any one of those sort of chords that led me to this ministry, but um, it's really at the bottom of it, wanting to give voice to the pain of the children of divorce. Cause that's another thing is I, I don't think our stories are getting out there a lot. I don't think people are listening enough to the stories and to help heal them, to yeah. help heal them with Christ's love. Thank yeah. you. Beautifully said. Yeah. I mean, the Lord certainly allows suffering in our lives. And that's a theme that repeatedly comes up in the show. Obviously the show is called always hope. And the reason we need hope is because we're on this side of heaven and we need to believe in the promises that are waiting for us. So in the midst of our suffering, often what we have is hope. And that's the only thing that can cling us to faith or even to love. And so in many ways, I believe that hope leads the way um, in our faith journey. But as you said so beautifully, the, the reality is that um, we all experience some degree of suffering. And, and this particular one that you spoke about with, with being um, uh, you know, raised in a divorced home has had some lingering effects. And as you've Reflecting on that and in, 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 on yourself, being able to say, okay, well, what can I do with this? I can, I can, I can help others who are similar. I can, I can give to others in their need. I can, I can serve um, and help others again who who, are, who have gone through similar struggles. And and that's really a very virtuous way of being able to deal with one's personal pain. Um, but you did say just right at the end there, you felt that stories have not been communicated. So Dan, what what is your story? Um, with regards to to your parents' divorce? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, well, <laughs> there's a lot that I could go into there. Um, so my story, I mean, just go back to my home. So, I mean, my home was a mixture of fighting, but, but also love, you know, pre-separation. So just to give the readers, or sorry, listeners, <laughs> wow, sorry, it's still morning here. Um, uh, listeners, a picture. It wasn't, I wouldn't consider my home like, you know, like one of the extreme cases of, of abuse. And, you know, it was, it was a mixture of things weren't right, you know, but there was a lot of love there too, between my parents. And so it really came as a surprise and shock, uh, to me when they did announce the separation. Um, but, and I was 11 years old, I was just going into sixth grade. And, but it was presented to me that, you know, we're going to work things out, you know, this, you know, this is just sort of, so initially it was a separation. It wasn't a divorce. They were going to work things out. So I was like, okay, all right. You know, I, I knew they had been fighting. So in some regards, it wasn't a surprise. It was kind of, yeah, it's the mixed reality. So I thought they were going to work things out. And then as time went on, they just drifted further and further apart And it was very clear by the time I was in eighth grade, about when I was 13, that they weren't 
going to get back together, you know, based on some of the circumstances and some of the things, you know, my father said and my mother said, but they didn't officially divorce actually until 15 years later from the initial separation when I was 26. So there was this, you know, long period of separation, but you know, I was going between two homes. I was, I was basically living like a child of divorce once the separation happened. And then that's why too, I'm also very keen to our ministry is for adult children divorce, but also we add or separation. It's for, you know, all children who've experienced the loss of the love of their parents together in that unified home. Uh, Cause I was in that limbo area for a long time, you know, as I guess you would say child of separation before, before the official divorce. So anyways, uh, during that period, there was there was a lot of emotions. There was a lot of different stages. You know, for me, I think I was just sort of try to play it cool, calm, and unaffected for a few years. And then high school definitely was like very angry. <laughs> I had a very angry phase at it all. Um, definitely drifted away from my faith. Definitely made a lot of bad decisions, I think, in response to the wound. And... A turning point, one turning point was coming back to the faith when I was a junior in high school on a retreat, actually. And it was it was meeting other people like me in the similar pain that I had, some peers, but also a priest. There was this great priest, Father Larry Richards, who had a very similar story in the sense of his dad abandoned him and, and left the family. Now, my dad didn't do it in such an extreme way. My dad still stayed involved in my life after the fact. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But there was that sense and feeling of abandonment, which I certainly did feel. Other father Larry's father, you know, was an alcoholic and really just truly went off without any contact with the family for a number of years. And it was his witness and his love that he showed towards his father, uh, despite it all, that I really started to turn my my thinking. And and we had a number of conversations about God, about family, marriage. I was introduced to theology of body, divine mercy, all in this one retreat. Like all these great awesome. things that would become super crucial for my healing started there on a retreat one weekend. Just this powerful experience of grace. Um so that would have been six or seven years after my parents' separation. Um, but I realized I'm one of the lucky ones. There's a lot of children divorce separation who report no one from their church talked to them. No one reached out to them. It's actually Elizabeth Marquette shares a startling statistic that three fourths of children from divorce and no one from their church synagogue um, ever reached out to them. So Catholic church, evangelical church while they, they were going through their parents' divorce. So no wonder so many leave in college or after college. So one of the sad things I, I find in my ministry is a lot of the children divorce have, have left uh, our churches. And um, one of the graces is we're, we're starting to call them back by actually listening and administering to their, to their wounds. So that's a little bit of my story. Uh, I think this is more fun if we go back and forth. So <laughs> you can ask me any questions. I mean, there's just, there's so much I could unpack there and, and I do, on the retreats and individual conversations with people, but. Well, I appreciate your um, vulnerability in, in sharing, you know, thus far what you, what, what you have shared. And, you, you know, you speak about 
again, adult children. Now, the ministry is particularly focused then to to that. It's, it's, it's adults, individuals who maybe fell through the cracks, as you've been speaking about in, in the churches and trying to catch them. And to be another way of being able to evangelize and recatechize and bring people bring people back into the fold, which is similar to your experience. You said you 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 were away for a couple of years um, in high school. You were angry, and then you went on this retreat, and it was on this retreat that bam, bam, bam. You know, so many things happened and clicked and changed for you. That really started the the, the process of healing and integration, but then also the growth again and recommitment to to living the the, the Christian life. Um, but as we talk about kind of lingering effects within adults, I mean, I guess both within your own story, but then with what you're seeing or maybe what you've researched as well, what are some of the, the lingering emotional or relational effects that you see with adult children uh, from from divorced homes? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. So first of all, even though that retreat began my journey of healing, like it still took like sure. another... 10. I mean, I still concern myself on the healing journey, but, oh, we but all, I, I, I mean, who's the finished product, right? I mean, like yeah. that's, that's kind of the thing at the end of the day is that we're all, we're all on this journey. But yeah, I, I mean, from that retreat onward, I started realizing that there was several ling- lingering effects that I needed to, to heal. But in general, from my research, my own experience, talking to adult children, divorce, separation and accompanying hundreds by this point, um, we've sort of identified five or six, there's different lists that you could draw up here. But, um, well, one thing about lingering effects, I mean, the way I explain the wound to people, and and this is certainly my own experience is it's a lifelong grief. Like this wound, even to the very healed or the very virtuous people, even in my own life, this wound comes up at every holiday, every milestone. I mean, you're still dealing with the family dynamics and going between homes and and dealing with these two separate worlds of your mom and your dad and trying to reconcile them and and feeling sad again and again. You know, I was just at my in-laws house who, praise God, they are together. They went through a few separations, but praise God, now they're together and have a strong marriage. And I was just thinking it, it was one of those twofold experiences. Like, this was beautiful to experience their love, but I also had this sadness like, man, how different could my mom and dad's life be and our life together with them? So it's funny, like even the experience of like genuine love is this twofold experience for the child of divorce. It also brings up grief and loss in your own family and how things could be different. Um, So it's a lifelong grief. So first of all, it is a lingering effect. Uh, I just want to say it's deep and lasting pain Mm. uh, to the children. Like it, it's gonna, the pain is gonna be there throughout their life. Like if if they are children divorced, we just have to get honest about that. Listen to their stories again and again and again. This is something they deal with throughout their life, and in some ways it gets easier in adulthood, but in some ways it gets more difficult because as parents age and you're trying to think about how they care for your parents, it's more difficult when they're not together, for instance. So um, it doesn't it doesn't end. So they, so one it has a big long lingering effect and I haven't gotten into like all the unhealthy dynamics that it sort of unleashes as well, just in terms of going between two homes and, and all the different aspects of that. But the other effects the I mentioned the five or six wounds that we've sort of identified is first of all, wound to your identity. And we can go in depth and, and any of these um, just, this utter feeling 
of rejection, of abandonment, even if the parents stay involved in their children's lives, that separation and loss of the parents' love together is, in a lot of cases, traumatic and it also feels like an abandonment. It feels like a rejection. It feels, um, because it's a loss, that you're, that you're leaving the children in some way. It's something so integral, that community of love that brought them into being is, is now gone for their security, for their safety. So that's going to make them feel rejected, abandoned, unloved in some fashion, no matter how strong the parents love as individuals after the fact. Losing that love together it has tremendous impacts on their identity. Tremendous. Tre- and specifically feeling unloved, feeling rejected, feeling ashamed, feeling um, just less than their intact peers. Well, I think that's you're, one. That's yeah. sure. You know, when we talk about the theology of the body and one of the, the key tenets is, of course, that men and women together, uh, you know, as a communion of persons, symbolize God's love into the world. And in the conclusions that JP2 gets to it, that of course is theological. There's an element of this that's revealed truth that we can only come to. But JP2 is deeply, uh, uh, primarily a philosopher. And so he, he gets to a lot of these things through natural law, through human experience, through, through uh, uh, yeah, just, just that, you know, and, and being able to then draw some of these conclusions to say like, like we intuit security from our parents. We intuit the need to have the secure base, to use a, a counseling term with regards to attachment theory. And, and when it's not there or when it gets ruptured, it does cause some break in our own personal identity or some lack of security, not just in myself, but in relationships as a whole, uh, which then, of course, if family life is the domestic church that we use in, uh, in church language, but, but, in, but in other ways, in psychological literature, it would be more like it's the beginning, it's the training ground, it's the place of, of formation. Um, that if this is what relationship is, if this is what the model of a relationship is, but we intuit, which is the model is broken, but we intuit something to be whole, then there's by definition a mismatch that, that exists. And so that, that by consequence, even under the best of circumstances, which listen, in, in no judgment, I have counseled many people who've walked through divorce. And in many cases, honestly, it's, it, sometimes it's the right thing. I hate to say that, but it's just the truth. But even under the best of circumstances, quote unquote, can't do quotes on an audio podcast, you know, like, so, so I'm flashing them up. Like when it, when it has to happen, like it still has lingering effects. It still has this, this, this cause for, for identity because your family doesn't go away. You, it's not like your parents go away at any point in your life. Like you're, you're always going to be dealing with them as you've been speaking about, even just to, even as an adult and, and bringing your kids over, having to separate like who, which holidays and how you're going to do it and who's going to see the grandkids here, who's going to see, you know, that those are things that have continued on, uh, even into your adulthood. So. So certainly I can see, you know, as you've articulated already that, A, there's some lingering effects and then, you know, even with identity, that that certainly would, would, would cause some, some, some pain and some struggle uh, that's there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you bring up a lot of great points. Um, one thing that you mentioned too about, you know, you brought up theology of body, something we know as well, is that, you know, parents are called to image God's love to their children. And what's beautiful is they do that even when they're not aware of it. 
like you said, providing that secure base. Like most of us as parents aren't going around thinking like, oh, I'm giving you a secure base today, you know, so you can explore the, the world. I'm, I'm the weirdo who, who got his degree in attachment <laughs> theory, you know, so, so yeah, I actually am like those. those yeah, things, but okay. that, that's me, you know, but that's not everybody. So, you know, like. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that point is that. And the natural order of things, when the parents are together, they just—they're not actually giving these just things this gift, yeah, to the children. But then when that separation occurs, the opposite happens, like you said, the insecurity. But the other thing, just to go a little deeper, and this is sort of wound number two, is that in the natural order of things, you're called to image God to the children. Well, when that's broken, their image of God is going to be off as well, right? And and so that's another thing is their faith is really affected. <clears throat> and I want to say too, cause you brought this point up. Yeah, this, we're not, when I'm talking about the children's pain, we're not judging individual people's situations of divorce. And, and I know too, that a lot of divorce also happens to people unwillingly, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of spouses, but I just want to focus on the children's pain and hear their stories and to share that with them. And I don't want to gloss over that, you know, like you said, even when it's necessary for safety, mm-hmm. you know, and these extreme circumstances, this is still a wound to work through, right? Like you don't have to feel bad about, <clears throat> you know, bringing about the kid's safety or peace or whatnot, but just still be aware that these wounds still exist. Um, even when it's necessary for those, you know, extreme circumstances, etc. So, um, and something I say this, to, and this relates to children too, because, you know, some children divorce are, well, they're grateful that the divorce happened because of their safety, you know, especially with cases of abuse or very toxic parents with addictions, mental illness. They're grateful. They don't have to feel bad about those positive effects of the safety and well-being, but they do have to realize just because that occurred, they still have this wound to process and they do recognize that. That well, yeah. What they most deeply desired was that their parents would love uh, each other together, and that would bring their safety and peace. You know, so this is sort of like you know the second, you know, least least worst option. So they still have that wound to go through, in addition to the fighting or whatever. And they shouldn't allow like a positive benefit like peace or safety to stop them from realizing that they have this deep wound. So I just want to mention that because that's something. Sure that the children have to actually work through to recognize that, yeah, even if there was this good benefit in these extreme cases, that you still have this loss that you have to process. And they really respond well to that. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> okay. And then just to get out, just to focus on the children, I just yeah. want to make that caveat. I appreciate but, that. That's good. But to, but to come back to, um, but yeah, I mean, there's this loss of faith. There's this loss of faith. And it's not just because the image of God is off because the natural image that's supposed to be imaging that, their parents. But they can also ask, you know, why did God allow this to happen? You know, why sometimes their parents, maybe they're regular churchgoers, right? They went to church. They were Christians. So how did this happen? What difference does the faith make if it can lead to this outcome, right? Um, Right. So... You know, God is my father, but my own father and my mother abandoned me or abused me or ignored me or whatever. How can I trust in God's love? So there's um, there's this really deep loss of faith for very serious faith questions like I outlined. And, and that certainly was my um, journey as well. Uh, as how could, you know, 
both my parents were churchgoers. You know, how how could two people go to church? How could it end up like this way? You know, that sort of haunted me and sort of made me reject God to some degree uh, growing up. Like, not it wasn't like a atheistic "I hate God" kind of thing. I, you know, it was more like, what difference does the faith make? Right. You know, if if it can't help this relationship out. So that was, that was the question for me. Um, now I had to, you know, slowly unpack <clears throat> my image of God there. Um, you know, how we all fall short, you know, a certain hypocrisy that is present. For sure. So, so, um, but and I just want to It's a reasonable say, question to ask given the circumstances and it's a, and it's the fact that you asked the question and, and you didn't allow that, that doubt to, 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 you didn't allow the doubt to linger, you know, God, by his grace, allowed you to, to walk through the doubt. Um, and it moved you back into a reinvigoration of faith and reprocessing and understanding, okay, well, what is it about my faith that needs to be solidified? What needs to change? All of that is good, but nevertheless, asking the question doesn't seem like you're alone. So I think you, you referenced the study in, on your website. Um, but there was a recent study from the Pew research forum, um, on, uh, Exodus and religion and why people are living to faith, leaving faith in general, why there's a rise in nuns, uh, that is individuals who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And why the research is really showing that like they ain't coming back, you know, like this might be a, a, a at least for, for a generation or two, this might be the way things are. And so the, the, the research, the survey was massive and it gets into a lot of different angles as to why people are leaving their faith. But I did find it curious that they were they were willing to entertain or at least acknowledge, entertain, acknowledge that in the research, one of the reasons and the contributing factors of why people are leaving is because of instability in home, because of parental separation, because of divorce. And so here I'm, I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs um, ver- verbatim, and I'll put a link to, to this uh, study specifically in the show notes if people want to follow along. When it says about divorce, it says, Previous research has shown that family stability or instability can impact the transmission of religious identity. Consistent with this research, the survey finds Americans who were raised by divorced parents are more likely than children whose parents were married during most of their formative years to be religiously unaffiliated. So 35% versus 23% respectively. So that's a significant jump. You know, 23% is still kind of high, but 35% were, were over a third of, of kids coming from divorce homes, not practicing their faith after the fact. Rates of religious attendance were also also impacted by divorce. Americans who were raised by divorced parents are less likely than children whose parents were married during most of their childhood to report attending religious services at least once a week. Again, 21 versus 34% respectively. The childhood divorce gap is, even, is also evident even among Americans who continue to be religiously affiliated. Roughly 3 in 10 religious Americans were brought up by divorced parents, say they attend religious services at least once a week, compared to 43% of religious Americans who were raised by married parents. So we see across the board 10 to 12% difference um, in religious affiliation, religious practice uh, between individuals who, who, who come to, uh, who, who are adults from those who are coming from adult uh, divorced homes or, or, or stable homes. So again, not the end all be all. Certainly there's other factors that play into this, but, but we have to acknowledge and the research shows it that this is another one of the lingering effects and could be contributing, um, in, in ways to people leaving their faith as an adult. 
Yes. Amen. Amen. I, I love that study. Thank you for mentioning that to your listeners. Uh, that's the Exodus study by the PRRI Institute, Public Religion Research Institute. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I, was, um, I got that wrong. I said Pew earlier. So thank you for correcting me. The Public yeah. Religion uh, Research Institute. That was the one who did it. So, mm-hmm. And the study is called Exodus, Why Americans Are Leaving Religion and Why they're unlikely to come back. Um, but yeah, thank you for highlighting that because this is not talked enough about in the church that the nuns are leaving because of their family situation. And it's not just their family situation, but it's the lack of response by the church as well. One of the things I hear again and again, and the quote or the statistic I used by Elizabeth Marquis, three fourths of young adults say no one from their church reached out to them. This is across denominations, across religions. So if you're not taking serious this tremendous, tremendous wound that is breaking apart their heart, then of course they're going to perceive you as irrelevant to their life. And that's such a tragedy because, I mean, gosh, I mean, this is why Christ came to, right. to save mankind, to, to heal the suffering and the broken heart and to undo these generational effects of sin and and we have so many resources for healing that the secular world just does not have. That's right. And, and we and have to. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. You mean, but I'm just I'm agreeing with you in in the sense that like, you know, what this is saying. My interpretation of this and and what you're saying kind of concurs is that while we have certainly needed to have a real emphasis on catechesis and on on proper teaching in the faith, we cannot do that at the expense of the pastoral. And we're speaking about situations where and sometimes pastoral, listen, I get it. I, I know. I worked in the seminary. I, I, I've been in the church culture for a long time. I know pastoral tends to be kind of a, uh, a euphemism for uh, more, more, more liberal ideologies, but I'm, but, I'm, but I'm taking it at face value. I'm using the term as is intended to be used, which is in the sense that like, we, we primarily as a church exist to serve others. Christ came to save us. And the way that he did it was by going to the margins, ministering to individuals who needed it, healing people, performing miracles, and teaching and catechizing. It was all of the above. It wasn't, it wasn't just let's like just minister at the expense of not teaching and forming their faith and their intellect and their and all of that as well. No, no, it's a it's a both and. And in some cases, we have to be able to lead with the pastoral arm and be able to help people minister to them in the midst of the pains and the difficulties. Because to your point. I, I can't do the math. I'm not, I'm not a, 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 you know, the equation here. If three-fourths you're saying are individuals who um, haven't been ministered to, how many of those would have, would have stayed, you know, if, if they would have been ministered to? You know, when we look at these numbers, would there be a difference? Would, would, would they be more inclined to, to serve and to give of themselves to other individuals who are being hurt by this? I don't know. I mean, those are questions that I just don't have answers to. But we have to be primarily a church that serves and that is of the service. And that doesn't mean we check our faith at the door or we check our theology at the door. No, it's that we bring it with us into this because only then the theology is what gives the answers that people are looking on. This is why divorce hurts. The reason why divorce hurts is because it's not what God intended. That's the truth. Like, and so it isn't what the Lord wanted. Okay, but it happened. So you also have to deal with the reality and the fact that God stepped into the broken world and brought healing and redemption into this world. I mean, this is the gospel message that is still just as true today in 2020 as it was 2000 years ago when Jesus Christ himself 
walked on the planet. Yeah, amen. And you bring up so many strong points. Because of our truth and our theology, we should be able to see and articulate the pain all the more better and help heal. Because like you said, the, the truth and the theology and the pastoral have to come together to heal the person. It's that truth and charity, you know, that we've heard, you know, John Paul II, Pope Benedict, Pope Francis talk about that we we need both. So I mean, one I mean, this gets really practical. It's like, well, yeah, when you're talking about God's plan for marriage, which is crucial for healing. You have to also relate it to their wounds and why this is healing and how this could help them in their specific circumstances. So that that truth and pastoral ministry has to go hand in hand. Like just one concrete thing. And this is our ministry exists to not just to get people in our ministry, but to help other leaders be more attuned to these realities, Mario. So thank you for for mentioning this because this is something we just got to get better at as a church. Um, and not just leave to this ministry or that ministry, right? And um, just for one example, you know, like I, I love theology of the body, and it was incredibly healing to learn the truths about God's plan for marriage and family. That was a big part. But there was also sometimes the way it was presented, it was sort of like a stumbling block to me. It seemed like overly romantic, like how is this possible? And and I think. What I need to. I'm sorry. I literally just interviewed John Grabowski last week and asked him that exact question. So okay. <laughs> that, that's that, that's that's an episode that probably will be released before people listen to this episode. But uh, but I just want you to know that I'm 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 with you 100. percent So keep going. My apologies. Keep going. Okay. Uh, I love Dr. Grabowski. Actually, he was one of my mentors at COA. So as an undergrad. So good. Listen to that podcast, everybody. Um. So. And he didn't do it this way, by the way. He, he presented theology body well to me. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, I know. That's why I asked him the question. <laughs> uh, so, um, but anyways, yeah, there was this struggle. Like, it, it was very healing, but there was this disconnect to my wound. Like, I can't live this. Total self-giving? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like, I believe it's the answer, but like, I don't want to give. I'm wounded. I know myself. I want to protect myself, right? So... So, like, I had to work through that and realize, well, actually, total self-giving is the antidote to self-protecting, right? I'm self-protecting in this relationship because I'm very wounded. And God wants this to be more reciprocal. So I have to move towards the virtue, whatever area I'm struggling with, whether it's defensiveness. I was a people pleaser. I was a perfectionist. I had all these bad tendencies and relationships I had to work through. But it really wasn't until I applied theology body, the truth of theology body to my wounds and what was going on in my heart with the whole self-protective thing, that that really unlocked a level of healing I needed. So it's it's that that part of going deep into like a spe- specific wound, but connecting it with the truth that's really healing. So it proves and it just rings true with everybody I've talked to and ministered to in our ministry that you have to have both that truth, but also that connectedness to the wound. And I think that's connectedness to the wound that that's the pastoral side that's often missing that we can do better as a church. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sacasa. I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Dan Miola to encourage you to check us out at faithandmarriage.org. At faithandmarriage.org, you can see everything that our ministry has to offer to help you in your journey of faith and in your journey towards healthy relationships. 
On our website, you can sign up for one of our upcoming marriage retreats. We have a whole list of 2021 retreats ready for you. We would love for you to come and join us on any one of those. You can also see if we have any upcoming speaking engagements. Who knows what that even is in 2020? I don't even know what speaking engagements I'm actually doing in front of people anymore. It's crazy. But once we get back on the road, we will have those updated on the website for you. Or you can also check out past episodes of the Always Hill podcast. A couple great episodes that I would love to draw your attention to is episode 40 on self-forgiveness with Dr. Everett Worthington, or episode 32, Hurt by the Church with Father Thomas Berg, or episode 23, Healing After an Abortion or Miscarriage with Michaeline Friedenberg. Each of these episodes, as the one that you're hearing currently, deal with pain and loss and suffering and trying to figure out how we can forgive ourselves and forgive those who have hurt us. So when the show is done, please check us out at faithandmarriage.org. But wasn't it relationship, wasn't it marriage that probably highlighted like your selfishness and your self-defenses, your defensiveness? Were you aware yeah. of those defense mechanisms prior to marriage or, or did they become more acute when, after you got married? Oh, it's, it's totally a both hand, right? <laughs> so like, no, I mean, I was aware before, and I also want to say like, it's the truth to connect to the Samoon, but it's also the incarnate, you know, the incarnated reality and married couples. That's the word I was, I, was, I, was, I was leading you to. That was the softball. That was it. The, the, oh. the, that's exactly where I was leading you. Yeah. You know, there's so much, there's so many layers to these stories, right? So, um, but yeah, no, it was good couples in my life, good mentor couples. One of my professors at the Institute before that, a youth minister, but my grandparents, my grandparents were huge huge and they didn't know theology of the body but they were living it mm -hmm. they were living it in their vows they're very catholic but they would pray every day my grandparents colin both my grandparents but in particular my irish grandparents really lived these truths so it was you know resonated with me and um taught me that there's a different way of living right than this defensiveness and yeah i mean i was aware of it in dating relationships and that's something i had to work on to get to a healthy, for me, it was like getting to the virtual, the reciprocal love. That was like key to see love is reciprocal. And because sometimes, um, and that was a big revelation in theology, body, love and responsibility. This theme of reciprocity is really big. Cause sometimes too, when we say total self giving, that also means receiving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't, we don't say that enough. It's giving and receiving. And, and it's, it's actually hard for a lot of adult children and divorce to trust another person enough to receive. Right. We like to be givers a lot. It makes us feel more in control. We feel like essential to the relationship if we're give, give, giving. But that's not true love. Part of the greatest gift that the other person wants to give to you is for you to receive their love, right? And it can get really annoying when a person's give, give, giving and not receiving. It's like, you know, your spouse gets you this beautiful birthday gift that they spent a ton of time on. You know, they made this beautiful artistic creation you know, poetry, whatever the case may be. And you're like, oh, thanks. But here, I have a gift for you. You know, it's <laughs> like, that's not going to go well, right? Mm -hmm. That's not no, love. Of it, and so, yeah, I was aware of these tendencies and I had to really work on the defensiveness, but the people pleasing, I mentioned some of the perfectionism. It was impeding not just the giving, but the receiving of love. And, um, yeah, just being around couples, talking to them. I mean, I went to therapy as well. I mean, I want to give a shout out for therapy. It's just a crucial 
part in a lot of our journeys at some point. And, and you therapy can give a shout is, out to a therapist about therapy. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll take that all day. That's all right. Yeah. And just, just to see too, like therapy is not just like taking away bad problems, but also giving you virtue to help you in your life going forward. Like sometimes we think of it just as like removing past pain. Yeah, that's so right. There yeah. was, you know, four years of that. <laughs> so, I mean, the whole journey that you've spoken about with regards to this is your story, you know, with you're aware of it. You, 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 you went to counseling, you, you're proactive. You did the things you needed to do. Um, you engaged, you pressed in on your faith, which is a real gift. Like we said, because for many others, it, it, it that isn't the case. And what you're trying to do is really kind of provide a, a, a response to, to a, a murky, mucky kind of situation, which sometimes again, in, in you know, criticism, I recognize that we needed it's almost like the the nineties and the early two thousands, the, the the church was so focused on clarifying the teachings, which was a response from the seventies and eighties, which came out of Second Vatican Council. Like it like things just went so far in one direction that it was almost a rebound went to the other direction. And I hope that now we're able to find some kind of moderation in terms of okay, this is the depth of teaching. We weren't we weren't supposed to throw the baby out with the bathwater in Vatican II. We were supposed to still be connected to the rich tradition of the church. Beautiful. And we still have to live in the present age and minister and serve the particular circumstances that people find themselves in, be that adult children of divorce. I'll just say this on the show to be sincere. I think an area where we are failing miserably is ministry to uh, those with homosexual inclinations. I think that is an area that, that, that we have not figured out as a church and we are losing people by the droves because of this. Um, and we have to be better at being able to uphold the truths and the teachings of the church while at the same time recognizing that many of our families, we have individuals who are gay and lesbian, and how do we love them and how do we support them and minister to them, um, as well as the individuals themselves, you know, who still believe and don't want to leave the faith, but, but feel that they're being forced to because they're not given another option or another way forward. Well, that's a whole nother podcast, but I, but I believe that that's another issue that we need to be attentive to as a, as a church in today's day and age, as a pastoral issue that really needs to be attended to. But, but I commend you for, for stepping into this and recognizing, okay, that there's, there's, there's a murkiness to this, you know, but, but these are individuals, these are children, these are adults now who, who need God's grace and mercy. Um, so bringing this back on track here, if I may, all right, if a couple then is considering, um, a, a divorce, what would you tell that couple and, and what would you say to them? with regards to, to the effects that this would have on their children? Well, I mean, first of all, listen to the stories of the children divorce. Listen to them, research them before making a decision. This is not something lightly, and unfortunately, I think 75, 80% of divorces can be prevented and you can go on and have a great marriage. Um, especially those cases where you just don't feel happy with your spouse, you just don't get along. There's not the, the very, very serious, uh, abuse situations. Listen to the stories of the children divorced. Listen to the lasting pain. Is that the legacy you want to leave? Please, please reconsider. Please stop for the children. And it's not just until they're 18. I have many adults whose parents divorce after 18 who go through the same depth of pain. And they feel also very forgotten because a lot of people tell them simply, well, you're an adult now. This shouldn't bother you so much. Well, when do you ever stop needing the love of your parents together? Never. Never. You need it in adulthood. Yes, there's more dependency in the childhood. It's more of the formative years. 
But the adults suffer so much pain, and unfortunately, we see a great rise in gray divorce. So that's another group of people that need a voice, that feel like they're voiceless just simply because they're adults. And also just recognize, like, the the tremendous pain and the aftermath of divorce cannot be solved by a checklist of, you know, if I just have the right professionals, if I just do it in the right way and the right tone and love them as much as possible as an individual. No, that there's no such thing as a good divorce. That's a myth, right? Like if you choose this pathway, it will bring pain for the children. There's no way around it. And then the best response afterwards is to grieve, to enter into that depth of the pain and to be present to the needs and sufferings of your children throughout their life. Because the other thing is there's so many sleeper effects, lingering effects. Children just want to survive. This is traumatic for them. So in the aftermath, they just sort of freeze. You know, they they will do whatever you want them to do. They'll do whatever you want to tell them. Yeah, they might be angry and have outbursts. There might be a rebellious streak, but they're they're afraid. They're afraid of the rejection that might be coming their way as well. So please, please, if at all possible, stay together, work on your marriage, and please just read the stories of the pain. Uh, you know, in a certain way, I hope it's motivation for you to work on your marriage. Because also, we know from studies that even the best of marriages can go through a number of years of heartache and then come out much stronger. I mean, my in-laws are a great example of this. They're much stronger in their love today. They've gone through some rocky periods, but they're not alone. So, I mean, my, my major plea is to listen to the voice of children who are now adults who can actually feel some freedom to speak about it. Read the book Primal Loss. Mm-hmm. Read, the, read the articles on our blog. Um, there's a lot of other books that will be coming out this year, too, um, I don't know if I can announce them, but just to read the stories and the depth of the pain um, and that there's no good divorce. There's no checklist because this is what parents have to realize. A lot of parents think if I just individually love my kid after the divorce, they'll be okay. Now, your individual love is incredibly important. I don't mean to downplay that, but it doesn't replace the loss of the love of their parents together. So there's this irretrievable loss. (laughs) Um, Yes, pointing them to Christ is also equally important in the aftermath, but you can't just make up for that loss. Like, it's real. It exists. So, you know, I just beg you to reconsider, as is what I would say. Um, because I think, again, through God's grace and healing, most most divorces can be prevented. Um, Amen. That's all Amen. I want to say on that. And just know my Amen. prayers and my heart. And my heart goes out for those especially that divorce happens to, and they're against it. Um, This is the case with my mom. So I also recognize the deep, deep pain that um, people who don't want the divorce, but because of no fault, unilateral divorce, they have to go along with it. And my heart just goes out to you. In that case, just love your child as much as possible and just point them to Christ. Keep pointing them to Christ. Like my mom's faith was really crucial in my healing as well. So, and now it can't, again, it hasn't taken away all the pain, right? I'm still right. dealing with it, but, but it was tremendously healing. So, you know, live, live a virtuous and holy life to the best of your ability. If this is something that has happened to you, you know, against your will. 
Um, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. It's, it's really beautiful. One of the things that I know has come up in my counseling with um, individuals when they find out that their parents were married and then maybe they've been married for 27 years and then they get an annulment um, or a declaration of nullity, you know, if we want to be particular, um, on, on the union. One of the questions that comes up immediately, at least that I have found, is the concept of being an illegitimate child or, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it because the word that has come up before, a bastard child. And that sense, and the reason I even use that term is because it evokes a certain emotion that sometimes it is is what people experience. And again, that's what I've seen, you know, in, in sessions. Um, so certainly not globalizing that across the board. But nevertheless, the feeling that like, it, it, it almost feels like what I've heard is that, well, so by saying an annulment, you're now saying that the marriage never took place. So it almost feels like a, like a double whammy in the sense that like, it was like, well, now I thought I had something that was stable and secure, but now you're telling me that that wasn't even real to begin with. So now what the heck do I do with that? Um, what are your thoughts on, on that experience and how would you, how would you communicate to, or what would you communicate to somebody experiencing that? Well, first of all, I love that you're listening to children in these situations. We don't listen enough to them. We just assume they feel this way or that way because often we hear from the spouses involved. Um, because, yeah, I mean, children experience the annulment process like children of divorce. It, it is a great loss. Um, they still don't have their parents' love together. But then in addition to that, you're right, there's this other wound that, you know, they grew up thinking all along that their parents were married. And then all of a sudden they found out that they actually were not. <laughs> so the deal with that is a whole nother level of wound that, that hurts, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah. I think that comes up with a question of identity. Like who am I given them a, you know, parents didn't have a valid marriage when I thought that they did. Like, I mean, that really throws people for identity. Um, but it's just important to also realize. So, so one, let's recognize their wounds and every retreat and support group I've run always has three or four of these children, adult children on it. And they have just as deep wounds as the children of divorce, again, because of these losses that the normal process doesn't fix, right? Like the normal process does not take away these wounds. It doesn't help the fact that the parents are not together, right? So, um, yeah, so annulments don't magically take away the wounds that happen when your parents split up, in other, in other words. So just recognizing their wounds and listening to their stories are, are very important and ministering to them. Um, but then second, just and to recognize their unique wound of this question of identity. And then second, but to also recognize that, you know, it's not the church breaking apart their parents' marriage, because I think they can feel that way, that, you know, annulments is a recognition that there wasn't a valid marriage to begin with. So again, um, it's looking at what like happened leading up to the wedding day or on the wedding day. It's not about what happened after the wedding day. Right. So, um, I think that's important to realize because again, a lot of the children experience that in some way the church is breaking apart their parents' marriage. So that's another wound that they have to work through. And of course there can be annulments. There can be the additional wound that annulments are wrongly decided, right? That it's illegitimate. And so that's a whole nother thing. And luckily, there are appeal processes in the church that people aren't aware of. Like, if you do feel that your local tribunal discerned it incorrectly, you can appeal to the Roman Rota. But again, that's up to the parents, not the children, right? 
But the biggest point is to recognize their loss is like children of divorce. You know, their parents are not together. Their parents go through the civil divorce process. So, et cetera. Um, yeah, I think that's the yeah. thing that I would say is, is this, this would be a place where the teaching kind of needs to be applied, again, appropriately pastorally, that while sacramentally union wasn't there, um, that doesn't take away from their experiences of their parents being together. Their parents were together. And that's a fact. That was a reality. Whatever, whatever label we want to put onto that, that union, whatever it was, if it wasn't sacramental, it was a union nonetheless. There was something that was, that was there. And by virtue of baptism, by virtue of goodness that exists within us, there are still good things that took, that took place and transpired in your youth because of your parents being together and trying their best to love you, even, even uh, if it wasn't a valid sacramental union. And so you doesn't, it doesn't take away from the good childhood memories. It doesn't take away from whatever security was perceived and received um, in that time. It doesn't take away any of those things, um, nor should it. And it doesn't mean that, that you're illegitimate in any way. God willed you into being, and you're, you're here on this earth for a reason. And, and it's, all of us have to do the duty of figuring out what that reason is. And so it, it, it changes the status of the relationship for your parents, certainly, but with you in your life, certainly attending to, to the natural uh, pains of, of, of the loss of the security in the union, for sure, is real, is, is as we've been talking about the whole time. But, it, but it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that the happy memories that you had are invalid as well. That's right. And yeah, this speaks specifically about the illegitimate question too. Like, I mean, to some degrees, that's a holdover from the secular world about in terms of inheritance and status in society, which thank God we're going beyond. But the deeper theological point is there is no unwanted children, no matter your parents' lack of love or no matter your parents' situation, God always loves you. That's the only label that matters, right? You are God's beloved. So to that specific question of illegitimacy or any question about, you know, doubting your identity because of your parents' relationship or lack of love or whatever the case may be, you are God's beloved. You are God's beloved. That, that, is, that is your identity, Amen. capable of great love. So get rid of all those other negative labels that we can fill our head, illegitimate or unloved or broken, damaged goods or not good enough not capable of marriage, all those labels, the the goofy one, the perfectionist, whatever label you may have been given growing up in your family, outside by the church, whatever, the only label that matters is you are God's beloved, capable, great love. So that's what I would also say specifically to those feelings of illegitimacy. Amen. Well said. It's beautiful. Well, with that then, like, I mean, is there any, any glory stories you got to share, you know, to use the Father Josh <laughs> term here, you know, any, any hope, any Anything that you've experienced thus far in the ministry that that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of hope. There's, I mean, I, I there's so many stories. Like success looks so different for different people, right? In this ministry, some it's just knowing that you have a place that we will give voice to your pain and let you know that you're not alone. That we will walk with you. The church will walk with you. Just allowing people time and space to grieve is incredibly healing. I've heard people tell us time and time again, like, it's just so good to grieve. Like, sometimes just getting it off your chest and grieving with people, for, uh, people who know the pain from the inside is just incredibly healing. It can change their life. Of course, we've had, you know, beautiful cases of people getting over the hump 
and deciding to uh, be engaged and get married. You know, we love those stories. Of course, we want to help people make that lifelong gift of love. Of course, healing those, you know, we didn't actually get through all the the five or six wounds I talked about, (laughs) (laughs) but that's okay. You can check out our website or our materials if you want to know more. It's lifegivingwounds.org. But, um, you know, it's just maybe healing one of those wounds, you know, uh, is a success providing friendship, growth, and virtue. Like it never ceases to amaze me the people's response and faith uh, when they allow God to go into their wounds and, and um, you know, get solid advice and truth from the church about virtue. They just, just seeing their faith and wanting to give back and helping people. That's one of the things I love in our ministries. We have a lot of participants who go through our programs, receive healing. Again, we're all on our way, but then give back. That's so beautiful. Uh, to me, that's a great sign of healing because of, um, you, you know, turning that pain into that compassion for others like you. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's just this beautiful, that, I mean, that's why we're called life-giving wounds, right? Is to turn our wounds into that life. And, I, and I'm sort of outlining here all these different ways I've seen it, and I could go on and on and have a big uh, list. But, uh, but I think, I, so I think just to sum it up, is just what I think is so beautiful, the success that I see that is, um, to me, life-giving as well, is helping people inculcate in their life a way of life with Christ in response to the wounds, the way of life of, of virtue, of faith, of hope. Love this podcast title. We can't talk enough about hope, but faith, hope, love, and joy in response to those wounds never ceases to amaze me. And and that's so beautiful uh, to walk with people and help people live that virtuous way with Christ and responsible. And so that's sort of underlying all these different things. That's always possible. Again, healing is not removing all pain. You know, I'm, I'm under no illusions that your pain may continue, but that doesn't have to be the end of the story. You can respond to it with Christ in a life giving way. So our name of our ministries are hope for each one of your listeners and not just in our ministry, but wherever they may find themselves, parish life, you know, whatever the case may be, that they can start experiencing their wounds um, with Christ as, as something life-giving, as a resource, maybe even, dare I say. I know that might be hard to understand, but a resource for their life. Let me ask you this. Yeah, I know we're going to get into the end of our show here. Um, but, it, I mean, you've used the word wounds, obviously, the whole the whole episode. and. The name of the ministry is Life Giving Wounds, so obviously it's a term that that you find affinity with. And so, just speak to me a little bit more about the term. You know, I have to be honest; like, I, I get it in terms of, and I and I appreciate and, and respect it in the context that we're speaking about. That there are particular wounds that are very grave, and I think divorce and, and being a, a, a child of divorce is one of those particular ones. I will say that I give some pause to the broader kind of. He- healing movement that I find kind of within the church as a whole that I think tends to be a little too blase, I guess is the right word. I don't know, a little too casual with the term wounds as if um, everybody walks around with these kind of big T traumas um, that are insurmountable experiences in life where they have these lingering effects. Um, so, so I guess I'm trying to reconcile both, you know, it, and how do you reconcile both of those between the truth of what you're experiencing and in, in, in speaking about without falling into the same um, jargon that tends to permeate uh, kind of popular Catholic circles. 
Oh boy. <laughs> this is a big question. <laughs> I mean, I think it's so, important for you to, to make that distinction yeah, for the listeners. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. And for me no, too. No, no, this <laughs> like, great. Yeah, no, this is great. Um, so, so first of all, we make a clear distinction between what we're doing with with spiritual healing versus psychological healing. Like we do not pretend to claim that our healing is the end all be all. Like we we see one of our successes is referring people out for good therapy. They need that at times. So, but with spiritual healing, what do I mean by that? I mean, virtue, like I, I mean, virtue, like faith, hope, and love. It means the natural virtues as well. Those are the theological virtues, which I think are the you know fulfillment, the crown of the natural virtues. But um, you know, I, so maybe I grab it. Temperance, justice, and fortitude are the natural virtues, just for the sake of putting those out. Otherwise known as the cardinal virtues, and then the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, just to make that distinction for the listener. Go ahead. Yep. Thank you. And you know, admittedly, I, I probably focus more on the theological um, in our ministry, uh, faith, hope, and love, and so. You know, it's grounded in virtue. It's grounded in truth. So it's it's not just this healing for the sake of healing. It's not trying to mix psychology and spirituality, but it's it's grounded on scripture. It's grounded on truth. It's grounded in the sacraments. That's another big thing. So I mean, like for us, um, we consider the healing being you know active participation in the parish life with the sacraments is the end goal and a way of living with Christ virtually in response to the wounds. But yeah, I mean, the we, we don't like the victim mentality, okay? I think what you're describing is the victim mentality, people walking around with these big wounds, and they're like really, really attuned to all their wounds. And, you know, I think that's the opposite of denial, right? I, and I think both are really, really bad. And, and the victim mentality really is a form of self-protection, I think, too. Like, you're, you're overcompensating for your own needs. There's a certain selfishness in there because of the lack that you had growing up or whatever the case may be. But the the victim mentality, that's not hope, right? Like uh, you, your podcast is beautiful. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the passage from Thessalonians, but we have to grieve, not like the pagans, but we have to grieve, you know, with hope, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem with victim mentality is it's a sin against hope, right? It's like, I cannot change. I'm always going to be wounded. I'm always... Um, got to be looking out for myself and my own needs and people are always going to be after me. Right. So we reject that wholeheartedly. Like when we say wounds, but it's that fine balance of in our life, we have to recognize original sin (laughs) that there are going to be wounds we have until the day we die, but there's always life and grace and, and joy and, and peace right alongside of all this stuff. There's redemption, right. Uh, Which is greater than the original sin and the suffering. So like, of course, the life giving needs to be weighted more than the wounds in our life. And we should be permeated more with joy than sadness, you know, and a healed and healthy person. But, um, yeah, it's just recognizing that reality till the day we die. That, yeah. There's going to be the effects of original sin, which are these wounds. In this case, we're talking about divorce, but there's redemption. There's always redemption. And that's what we need to focus on in response to that, that virtuous life with Christ in response to the wounds. So I don't know. Did that answer your question? <laughs> it does. It does. I appreciate okay. I appreciate the break, you know, and in making some of these distinctions. And again, whole nother episode I, I, I probably need to do in terms of uh concerns with the the, the overall healing ministries that, that tend to be popping up throughout um our, our kind of Catholic kind of circles. Um, but that that's another episode for another time. But I did appreciate how you at least spoke and said that 
the victim mentality is a sin against hope. It's beautiful. You know, that it's, 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 it's a, an articulation of saying that there's not going to be anything that's going to fundamentally move me past this. And so, uh, it, it, it causes, as you said, a self-protection, but even in a spiritual sense where the spiritual and psychological kind of get, you know, meshed together, what it can do is that it causes sometimes a navel gazing where then all my prayer becomes folks fixated and focused on the healing of this particular wound or whatever other wound is kind of buried within deep within my subconscious. And so it becomes this continual digging and, and navel gazing that in and of itself doesn't lead towards life-giving behaviors, aka virtue, um, a gift of oneself, aka love, doesn't inherently lead you towards an outside dimension, outwardly dimension, which it seems like is what you guys are, are, are trying to do and what you've been living, obviously in your own life and trying to model for the people who come in contact with your ministry. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's beautiful, beautiful distinction. And to say that, listen, as you've, you've spoken about it throughout the whole episode, the both and on one hand, you recognize that this has been a lingering pain in your life. This is how we started the podcast that even at Christmases and holidays, you still have to reconcile the reality of, of your parents' divorce. While on the other hand, you also see great good and beauty that God has brought forth from these particular circumstances. The, the, the bad coping mechanisms, being the people pleaser, uh, the selfishness you spoke about, being forced to have to evaluate those behaviors because of marriage, because of mentor couples, because of, of work, because of therapy, because of all these other things, that process is in and of itself the thing that has led you to become the better version of yourself. And, and that's a model for all of us. And so while it is that it's there, it's also uh, being redeemed and and in that way, we become Christ, um, that Christ doesn't remove his wounds when he comes in his resurrected self. His, his, his scars are there for all to see, but they have been redeemed. And how they're redeemed, well, that's the mystery of mysteries. And, but that's what we believe in our faith, and, and that's what we cling to in hope. So, Dan, final questions here. I, I know you have a heart out here, and it's just a couple of minutes. We're over your time, so I really appreciate the extra time you've given to me. But just quickly, if people are loving what they're hearing, how can they access the, the ministry? What's the website? Uh, any social media stuff that you want to do? How do you, how can you how can people come on the retreats and just plug away? Okay, great. Uh, well, please be connected with us, uh, lifegivingwounds.org. There's different ways you can get involved. You can give. You can you know write a story for us. We're always open to new submissions that we vet on our blog. There's a lot of great stories and articles and testimonies, children there. Social media, too, is a place where we try to give voice to. And also, we have a special um, new initiative. We're doing an online retreat in response to COVID. A lot of our in-person retreats got canceled. So the great thing is, if our ministry is not in your area, which it probably is not yet because we're brand new and only in a few dioceses, then you can begin to experience this ministry and what we have to offer through our online retreat. And you can find out more about that www.lifegivingwounds.org slash online retreat. We have some really great speakers, uh, Beth Sri, Art Bennett. I'm on there. Um, Leanne Abel, I don't know if you know of any of these people, but check this out. Uh, they're all adult children of divorce, sharing vulnerably their story, but thinking through these things with theology, with the truth that God gives us and the, and the healing. And to, like Dr. Mario said, the redemption. Again, uh, we, we don't want to be just navel gazers. Uh, this is a part of our life, but this is not the whole of our life. We have to be fixated on Christ and Christ alone and drawing an intimacy with him. 
and the virtuous life he wants to live. And that's what we're all about. So please get involved and connect with us. And thank you, Dr. Mario, for all the good you're doing. And God bless you and your ministry as well. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And the final question I ask all my first time, first time guests, uh, Dr. Dan Miola, what gives you hope? You. <laughs> um, what gives me hope? I mean, again, I just, I keep drawing close to the sacred heart of Jesus the sacred heart um, and, and holy hours and personal prayer. Um, my wife and my marriage, the sacrament of marriage is that's a whole nother thing. It's just so incredibly healing and beautiful. And I've just received so many graces through that. I have a whole list. I practice being intentional about gratitude every day. So there's a million different reasons that give me hope. And we just have to become attuned to Christ in our life more and more. He's just present in a million different things. The way a kid smiles at you, the way you watch your children play, having an opportunity to go on this podcast, again, uh, to do this ministry, you know, whatever the case may be, there's so much goodness and hope in the world. And I'm just so blessed to experience it and share it with others. So can I say all of creation and all of the good works that people like you and the church do and my wife in particular, I want to give her a shout out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Amen. I'm long winded. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. God bless you and all the work that you are doing. It, it means a lot for sure. So you're helping a lot of people out. So many blessings to you and your wife and wherever this venture takes you. Thank you, Dr. Mario. God bless you. Okay, everybody, another episode is done. Well, as a therapist, my heart goes out to any one of you who have been impacted by divorce, whether it's your parents or whether you yourself are going through one right now, just know that the church loves you um, and that the, the goal of you becoming a saint is still there and you still have the capacity, regardless of what's happened in your life, to pursue holiness to be the best version of yourself, to assimilate your past, and to bring it into fullness of Christ's love and mystery and providence. So I pray this episode has helped you in some way. Now that it's done, please, if you have enjoyed it, leave a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts. I know that there are, are many other platforms that the show is on, whether it's our website or Spotify or newly launched Amazon Podcasts. I encourage you, please, if you have a second, go on Apple, leave a comment, write a review. That's the place you could do that. It helps other people to discover the show and it encourages me just being able to know that the show is impacting you. So God bless you guys. Have a great day.